You're listening to the McKinsey on Consumer and Retail podcast, featuring wide-ranging conversations on the topics that matter most in the consumer and retail industries. I'm your host, Monica Toriello. Hello, everyone. We are coming up on the holiday season, and if you haven't done your holiday shopping yet, you'd better get started soon, or it might actually already be too late. That seems to be one of the takeaways from all the recent headlines about disruptions in the global supply chain. And as has been reported, there are many factors, many reasons for these disruptions. So there isn't one magic solution for retailers. And today, our two guests on the podcast will share their insights on the range of supply chain issues and what retailers can do in advance of what's sure to be a challenging holiday shopping season. So let's meet our guests. John Barbie is a partner based in McKinsey's Atlanta office. He works with many retailers and consumer goods companies on their omni-channel supply chain and fulfillment strategies. He is one of the authors of a recent article titled Retail's Need for Speed, Unlocking Value in Omni-Channel Delivery, available on McKinsey.com. Thanks for joining us today, John. Hi, Monica. Thanks for that wonderful introduction. I'm delighted to be here today. And Sarah Taus is an associate partner in McKinsey's Boston office. Sarah, like John, has advised a wide range of retailers and consumer goods players on supply chain topics. And Sarah has co-authored a number of retail articles on McKinsey.com, including one most recently on how retailers can build supply chain resilience. Thanks for being here, Sarah. Hi, Monica. Thanks for having me. Okay, first question. Have you guys started your holiday shopping yet? Oh, boy. Um, (laughs) I guess in parts, given what I've known, I've paid attention to kind of what's been available, particularly, you know, for toys. I've got two small kids. I at least knew enough to kind of pounce on the opportunity. So I've been slowly stockpiling up over the season. But, um, you know, probably one of the most important people that I have to uh, play Santa Claus with my wife. I like like most of my uh, male colleagues, uh, probably put off uh, the shopping longer than I should have. So I'm I'm really rolling the dice close to the the holiday season here. I made a Sunday night trip to Target for something called a Bluey Caravan Adventure playset. I don't know why <laughs> this thing is fifty dollars, but I uh, I purchased it and now it is forward deployed by Santa in the closet upstairs. Well, as John, as you mentioned earlier, there's been a lot of press about the supply chain crisis, right? And almost every day we're hearing and reading about shortages of stuff, toys, but also diapers and seltzer water and books and bicycles. And it's been attributed to a host of factors, log jams at ports, you know, huge unanticipated spikes in consumer demand, but also labor shortages, you know, warehouse workers, truck drivers. From your perspective, in your work with retailers, is there one thing or maybe two things or three that's the biggest problem or are they all equally big problems? That's a conundrum, Monica. There's no single biggest problem. The good news is that some of the disruptions will pass, such as overseas vessel delays and container shortages. For these issues, the optimists would venture H1 or early H2 next year. However, the pessimists might see this backlog last through 2023. The other issues, such as labor shortages, have been a long time in the making, quite honestly. Hourly wage rates have escalated over 20% over the past 18 months, and investments in technology and automation and distribution centers have been elevated and are now at the forefront of most chief supply chain officer agendas. 
the numbers are just staggering, right? If, if you look at resignation, it's 13% higher than pre-pandemic levels. During the pandemic, three and a half million people retired, which is 2 million more than usual. Uh, there are 10 million job openings right now and a whole host of factors underneath that. But for me, one of the takeaways is just how fundamentally I think this pandemic has changed how you know, Americans, but people around the world think about their careers and their jobs and how they want to spend time. Can you tell a story or give an example or two of something that a retailer has done that's really made a difference in their supply chain or really solved a problem and gave them competitive advantage? Like what's a sort of best practice case example? There are a few things that I think smart retailers have, have done, if you will. One has been around pricing and promo timing. In some years, Black Friday, right, would be the day when the holiday season starts. This year, I think we start we saw that even in October. And so some of that pull forward to smooth out the demand curve, I think has been important. Another has been thoughtfully taking price. To some extent, it, some of these increases in logistics costs can't be avoided, even if you are a smart retailer. So understanding how much of that can you take to your bottom line and how much of it has to be passed along and how do you do that in a thoughtful way that's minimally disruptive to the consumer, I think has been really important. And then finally, thinking about supply chain triage. So many retailers, as we were looking earlier in the fall, recognized that these challenges were deep and they were going to have trouble getting product when they wanted it. And so being mindful about which products are most important to get onto shelves as they think about their consumers and what they want, as well as as they think about their own revenues and margins, I think are seeing that advantage play out as we get closer to the holiday. There's been a few interesting uh, retailer strategies that aren't necessarily available to all retailers, but we've certainly read, you know, some retailers like Home Depot, Costco, Walmart, Ikea, Target, and others take some of the shipping issues into their own hands and gives them a little bit more control. And, and they've done this by leasing vessels to, to carry their containers from overseas. There's other strategies where retailers, at least those that have kind of thought in advance for the holiday season, is pre-buying capacity, particularly air freight. And for those retailers that have more speed-sensitive product or seasonal product, you know, this actually proved to be a good strategy for them and that they were able to kind of bypass some of the shipping disruption. Um, and in cases where they had excess capacity, they even sell this, you know, to others that could benefit from this um, as part of their, their hedging strategy. So this is getting a little bit ahead of some of the, the disruptive problems. And if you think about last mile, I think historically, right, many retailers thought, I've got FedEx, I've got UPS, I've got USPS. And those retailers are seeing the pain right now of very congested, large integrator networks. And one of my clients who I think is facing a little bit less pain is one who a few years ago decided that they were going to lean in much more heavily with regional players. So the laser ships of the world, which has enabled them as this tightness has increased to at least have more avenues that they can use to get their products directly to consumers. Is there any low-hanging fruit for retailers? Like anything that you're like, you know, every retailer really ought to be doing X, but too many retailers still aren't doing it. Like, are there any no regrets moves that retailers should be making right now? I think this comes down to the basics of omni-channel fulfillment operations. I think of this in two parts. Part one 
is retailers should seek to maximize availability of product across all channels, ensure that they offer convenient options for fulfilling demand, and then making sure that the value of their product and fulfillment conveniences remain competitive in their market. In our latest consumer research at McKinsey, we find that consumers continue to change their shopping behavior with three quarters making some change and 40% completely changing brands because of the lack of availability or perceived value in fulfillment. For chief supply chain officers, this will mean working closely with their digital and store counterparts this holiday season to ensure that they have the block and tackling in place to deliver fast and reliable fulfillment to their consumers. Right. Okay. And that's probably part one. Part two is, you know, one of the cool things about the pandemic is it really, you know, pushed the envelope on innovation. So things like curbside pickup or some of the buy online pickup in store or even um, concierge services just really came to life faster than most retailers would have anticipated. This fundamentally changed the way retailers, you know, thought about deploying and testing new capabilities. So I think one of the positive things, we will start to see a lot of experimentation with the fulfillment models we think about Omnichannel. So, you know, there may be more conveniences or partnerships that we see, for instance, uh, Best Buy partnered with Instacart, which is traditionally serving the, the grocery market. You see the same in, in beauty categories. Sephora has done the same. Kohl's for some time has been taking Amazon returns. There's been a lot of innovation in retail, and I think that's that's one of the things that we'll continue to see. And two things I might highlight. Uh, one is around visibility. Investing in greater data assets is something that I think is always tricky for retailers to think about the ROI of. Uh, this pandemic has made it clear that that's important. And some of our recent research would say that for a typical company over the next 10 years, they'll lose over 40% of one year's EBITDA because of disruption. And when you look at those sorts of numbers, I think it makes the investment in data to be able to do some of the things that John's mentioned around being dynamic in your supply chain really seem well worth it. Then I think on the customer demand side of things, it's important to remember that retailers can actually do a lot to shape customer demand. And so I think as we think about how you can push customers to some of buy online, pick up in store to avoid some of that congested small parcel market, as you think about how you can change your ship speeds and promises for different segments of your customers, it's important to understand that customers react differently and there are things that retailers can actually do to shape some of those expectations. So I want to double click on a couple of things that you just said. So both of you have talked about visibility, right? Uh, and Sarah, one of the imperatives that you discuss in your recent article, you know, one of the things that you say retailers must do in the near term is to stand up a digital control tower, right? So that they can have this real-time visibility into what's actually happening in the supply chain rather than have all this data reside in siloed systems, and I'll quote, you say a digital control tower typically improves fill rate by 10% and reduces excess inventory by more than 30%. But can you give a sense of how hard it is to do it? I mean, I, I imagine it's a good thing to have even when there's no global supply chain crisis. So why haven't retailers done this already? You're right. Everyone in these retail organizations is trying to do the best thing that they can. But we know that retailers, like many other industries, are fairly siloed. And if you think about having an effective control tower, it relies on a few things. It relies on that data, which, again, many retailers are operating off of disparate legacy systems and don't have one source of truth. It requires a lot of coordination between supply chain, between marketing, between merchandising. And those are entities that, 
as we think dynamically day in and day out about making some of these last minute and hard calls, haven't always had the forum and in some cases the willingness to do that in a joint manner. One thing for sure is, you know, over the past 18, 24 months, is these supply chain disruptions have really wakened supply chain officers in retail to, you know, the need for visibility. And so as they think about navigating some really challenging numbers with on time and full, you know, to the distribution centers, you know, in the neighborhood of 20 to 30 percent um, is really disruptive. And that's part of what they're navigating as they think about the future of their supply chain capability as they navigate things like digital control towers, which, by the way, is not a new capability or technology. It's been around for some time. It's just over the last 18 to 24 months that in retail in particular, you know, need for these capabilities have really been heightened. And, and traditionally, the, the challenge in the past has been just to find the, the ROI for, for these visibility investments. You know, they know it's, it's good and they know they can make better decisions, but they never really had the felt need um, to navigating, you know, critical company disrupting, you know, issues like they have had over the last 24 months or so. And so the, the time is very ripe to deploy these, these types of capabilities. One of the other things that you said was uh, shaping uh, customer demand or consumer demand, right? Uh, retailers influencing actually what consumers buy and how they buy it. But are there other things that retailers can do? And I'm thinking about, like, if you're a beauty retailer, maybe instead of, you know, gift sets, you'll promote like a gift certificate for an in-store makeover. So you're selling an experience rather than a product. Are there things like that um, that you've seen retailers do or that you think retailers ought to do uh, in order to shape customer demand? I think one thing that won't go away is the the theater of, of stores, and that will never go away. You know, stores will always have a role. Customers like to discover and explore and kind of physically experience, you know, product and excitement. It may not make sense in, in all categories, but but certainly for some, thinking about the theater, the store, and how to showcase you know product and get customers excited, and what might get people to, to get out of their homes to the extent that it's it's safe for them and and you know their communities. Yeah, during the height of COVID, uh, one of the retail executives I work with said, you know, "Sarah, the thing that's shocking is with everything going on in the world, people are still coming to our stores and they're still shopping." And this was a non-essential retailer who had just reopened. And that's really stuck with me, that the notion that part of the reason why we shop is because we need things. Part of the reason why we shop is because when well done, it's it's fun, right? Uh, so I, I think to John's point, as people continue to get more comfortable and as retailers really think about redefining their in-store experience to make it something special, the consumer's ready to get back into stores in addition to doing that shopping online. Yeah. And are you pretty much saying, though, that consumers are going to need to expect just higher prices? I mean, I think one of the shocking things, Sarah, in your article was the cost the cost of shipping, like one item is could go up by like six dollars. <laughs> yeah. So talk a little bit about uh, pricing expectations, both from the consumer's perspective, but also from the retailer's perspective. You talked earlier about, you know, trade-offs and, you know, it taking price and all of that. Just say a little bit more about that. At the end of the day, retailers want to provide the best value for their guests that they can. And so the first thing that my retail clients are doing is trying to figure out how much of these increases they can absorb. But the margin structure means that when you are seeing the magnitude of increases we're seeing, they, they, they fundamentally can't while remaining profitable. 
And so that's meant there's been a need to, to take price. And if you look at the market, you know, if we look back at October, inflation was 5%. And so I would say that, yes, consumers are already feeling it and seeing it. Uh, and as long as, as some of these exorbitant rates to get product from here to there persist, I think taking price is going to be something we're going to continue to see, even though retailers, I think, really are doing their very best to try to think of creative ways to, to either mitigate those costs or find a way to take them while remaining profitable. It's really hard to untrain consumers when they're so used to, you know, some of the pricing. And, and one of the um, elements of the American online market is you know, the prevalence of free shipping. The U.S. consumer has, has shown a resilient willingness to not pay for any shipping costs. And so as you think about the value equation online, not just the price of the goods, but also the services to deliver the goods you know, will be important in the future of the economics and the P&L for an omnichannel retailer. I think some of the exorbitantly high rates that we're seeing right now will calm down, but some of the underlying fundamentals of this market mean that getting products from place to place is getting more expensive. And so I think building that into both your AOP and your LRP is wise to do at this point. One of the things that seems to be very hard for retailers especially hard over the past 24 months is anticipating demand, right? Because it's been so volatile. Um, have you seen any retailers do a good job in that? Um, and if so, how have they done it? It's really been interesting. This has befuddled you know, executives across all sectors, whether it's grocery, apparel, home goods, uh, sporting, will we continue to see positive comps? And I think a lot of retailers going into this year, this holiday season, were actually anticipating, you know, flat or even potentially depressed sales. And they're pleasantly surprised, caught off guard even, you know, that comps continue to be positive, you know, high single digit, anywhere between eight and 15% or so, uh, positive comps from last year, which were 30% plus uh, from 2019. This kind of underscores the importance of great omni-channel fulfillment strategies to allow you to move product more seamlessly across your retail stores, your online channels, and to the extent that retailers choose to play on marketplaces, you know, complementary, you know, retail channels that might not be the traditional ways that, you know, retailers typically would go to market. The way that retailers forecast is being forced to change. And what I mean by that is if we rewind in history... I used to take prior year, I would make adjustments to it up, down, sideways across categories. And that was my plan for the next year. And I think when you know 2019 happened and folks were going into 2020, they said, okay, 2020 is going to be a one-time deviation versus 2019. But as the pandemic has persisted, then they said, okay, well, 2021 is going to be another one-time deviation. And now as, as we look towards 22, just upon us, it no longer really makes sense to say that every year is just an absolute deviation from the year prior. So what I think that means and what some of the best retailers are doing is really going back to their analytics and saying, how are they forecasting demand? How do they get more sophisticated in looking at the demand signals in the market and getting more dynamic in those forecasts so that it's not a matter of looking at what happened last year and assuming that it's going to continue, but really looking at what's happening in the market today and understanding what that's going to mean for a few months hence. What does that mean for supply chain capabilities? If you're hiring in your supply chain, right, are you looking for different things than you were looking for in 2019? 
It's a great question. Capabilities and the way I'm taking your question too is on talent is generally one of the top three priorities of most chief supply chain officers that we discuss. And it comes across on a few dimensions. You know, what they found, generally speaking, is, you know, money's not enough. And so they're, they're exploring a number of creative benefits where that's you know, paying for college, you know, offering, you know, same day pay or, you know, time off or accelerated health benefits uh, and so on. You know, I had an interesting conversation with a, a chief strategy officer at a retailer. One of the secondary effects or, or people don't think of on the surface is the need for childcare. And then when we think about the back office talent with the rise of automation, you know, in DCs and the, the use of technology, the use of analytics, it is fundamentally shifting kind of the skills of, you know, the contemporary supply chain manager. You know, typically in operations, it was, you know, how do you execute great processes, um, getting on the floor, working with people and kind of being in the moment of, of execution. It's very exhilarating, by the way, if you've ever done that. But, you know, when we get into more automated environments, it's a very different skill set to manage the flow of goods, you know, in the DC to, to recognize data, the patterns and to anticipate, you know, how you manage the end to end supply chain. And so... I'd say one of the greatest shifts, particularly in omnichannel, is the cross-nature, cross-functional nature of how supply chain managers need to work. So typically, to Sarah's earlier point, supply chain could be relatively siloed. You know, their task was to move goods from A to B in the most efficient way as possible. And nowadays, supply chain requires course, close coordination with merchandising, marketing, inventory, planning. And so... Working, you know, with such a cross-functional team, you know, requires people that are more agile, um, that kind of get out of their typical mold that you typically see in a, in a supply chain organization. One other aspect I think that is increasingly important is having true strategists, right, who are sitting in supply chain functions and who are thinking deeply about consumers. As John said, I, I think there historically was a thinking that the commercial organization would set a value proposition and the supply chain organization would execute on it. And now our, our data would show that things like delivery speed, things like return policies really impact how consumers think about that enterprise and what value proposition it offers. So I think having strategists sitting in those roles who, again, are thinking about the impact of their decisions, not just on the bottom line, but on the top line as well, is increasingly important. Okay, so let's just close with, um, you know, all the supply chain executives in the world are in one room and you have one message to give them. What would that be? Having spoken with a number of chief supply chain officers, it has been a marathon for the past 24 months. Um, a lot of them are tired, they're worn out, they're human beings, and they've done a tremendous job of navigating an unprecedented amount of challenges. And I think, you know, as, as they take time to recharge themselves, to recharge their teams, you know, now's the time to kind of think about resetting, you know, their own supply chain and, and kind of challenge the way that, you know, retail supply chains have been set up for decades. And let's take risks. You know, COVID proved to us that that we can move quickly. We can test, sometimes we'll fail. Um, and, and supply chain, by the way, hasn't always been you know, thought of as one of those capabilities that you can quickly test and learn because there's infrastructure that takes years to build. But you've kind of turned that on its head. And so I think 
um, I, I would encourage you know chief supply chain officers to to have courage to take risks and, and use this as a moment to develop their new sources of competitive advantage as we think about the future of retail. You've never had a better audience than now to really think through what it is you need for your supply chain to be successful, just given all the disruption we've seen. Your CEO, your CFO, your board, they're all thinking about this. So as tempting as it is and perhaps as necessary to, to just be in firefighting all day long, I think it's imperative to take that step back and do what John's saying of thinking towards the future. And then the other thing I would say is, you know, all else equal, I'm still able to go to the grocery store and get food. I'm still able to get my you know kid their toy for Christmas. I think in an extraordinarily challenging environment, I think there's actually a lot to celebrate that the fundamental, you know, items we need to, to keep living the way that we are um, have continued to come in. And I think in many cases, that's a testament to all of the great body of work that's happened over the last 24 months. And hopefully they'll be able over the holidays to kick back just a little bit um, before jumping back into it in 2022. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the McKinsey on Consumer and Retail podcast. A transcript of this conversation will be posted on McKinsey.com very soon. To suggest topics for future episodes, email us at consumer underscore podcast at McKinsey.com. To stay connected with us, subscribe to our email alerts on McKinsey.com. Thanks again for listening.